Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Story time. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Joe, a seasoned hunter and guide who has spent my entire life in the great outdoors of the Pacific Northwest. 
I've heard many tales of Wendigos, but never saw one myself, until that rainy day in November of 1995. I was camping with a few friends in a remote area near the Oregon-Washington border. We were sitting around the fire, trying to stay warm and dry when we noticed a strange figure standing next to a tree. At first, we thought it was a doe, but as it got closer, we realized it was something else entirely. The creature was about six half feet tall, with giant antlers, and muscular shoulders. It looked like a bipedal doe. Its head was not pointy like some of the stories we had heard, but more human-like. It didn't move at all, just stared at us curiously. Mark, one of my friends, got up and approached the creature. As he got closer, it turned and walked away slowly, disappearing into the dense forest. We were all stunned, not sure what to make of what we had just seen. Later that evening, we talked about it and tried to come up with an explanation. We knew that there were stories of Wendigos in the area, but seeing one in person was a different experience entirely. The next day, we heard about a man named Chet who was known to leave food out for the creatures in the area. We decided to pay him a visit and see if he had any insight into what we had seen. Chet was a Native American man who had lived in the area for most of his life. He told us about his encounters with Wendigo and how he believed they were peaceful creatures who just wanted to be left alone. After talking with Chet, we decided to do some investigating of our own. We spent several days in the area, looking for any signs of Wendigo. We didn't find anything conclusive, but we did hear strange noises and saw footprints that could have belonged to the creature we saw. To this day, I'm still not sure what we saw that day in November. My name is John, and I work for the local newspaper in Oregon City. I was intrigued when I received a strange phone call from a man named Tony C., claiming to have seen something unusual up in Apalkians. He spoke in hushed tones, as if afraid someone might be listening in on the conversation. Tony claimed that he and his friends had come across a family of creatures, and that they were unlike anything he had ever seen before. He didn't say the word Bigfoot, but the implication was clear. He offered to show me exactly where they were if I was interested. I tried calling Tony's number repeatedly, but there was no answer. Eventually, I decided to pass the information along to Peter Byrne, a renowned Bigfoot researcher. However, even he had no luck getting in touch with Tony. Days turned into weeks, and I had all but given up hope of ever learning more about Tony's encounter. But then, one day, I received a call from a man named Steve Williams. Steve had spoken with Tony, and he was able to provide me with more details about the incident. It had occurred during bow hunting season in September of 1995. Tony and his friends had been biking in the Wallace area when they came across a terrible smell, like something dead. Suddenly, a 10 to 12 foot tall dark creature ran past them, making so much noise that Tony thought there must be several more of them nearby. He hadn't taken a shot at the creature itself, but at a shadow that he thought might have been one of the creatures. At first, Tony's boss had laughed off the incident, but later suggested he report it. That's when Tony had called me. I was fascinated by Tony's story, especially since it involved a sighting in such close proximity to our town. I decided to dig deeper, 
and eventually learned that there was a local Native American tribe in the area that had stories and legends about similar creatures. With this new information, I reached out to the tribe and was able to speak with an elder who had first-hand knowledge of these creatures. He confirmed that they were indeed a part of their traditional stories, and that sightings had been reported by members of the tribe for many years. I knew that Tony's encounter might be met with skepticism by some, but I felt that it was important to share his story with our community. Who knows what else might be out there, waiting to be discovered. When I was younger, I worked as a ranger in Georgia Park. Most of my nights were spent instructing people not to leave out offerings for bears and other animals, but every now and again, I got a call about rowdy teens or even rowdier adults. It was thankless work, but dealing with the public often was. One night, I was leaning back in my chair, listening to a podcast in a last-ditch effort to stay awake. The phone rang. Normally, I relished the action. The night shift was miserable without it, but it was 30 degrees out tonight. I had no registered campers. The last thing I wanted to do was leave the central heating of my post to go and hunt down a group of kids that ran off to make out in the woods. Frustrated long before I had the chance to say hello, I brought the phone to my ear, waiting for somebody to say something. However, no matter how I called to the other person, there was only heavy breathing in response. Nothing like a good old-fashioned prank call to make the hate of youth just a bit more than I already did. I hung up resuming my podcast content to doze off until morning. The prank caller had other plans. They called four times, only ever breathing heavier into the receiver. By the fifth call, my patience was now at its end. I answered with a sharp what? Only to have it steamrolled by crying and begging, a muddled voice and very indecipherable. I don't remember how long I spent trying to calm her down before she finally choked something out, by the river, please help. The line went dead because why wouldn't it have, and then nobody else called. All efforts to call her back were met with the telltale ring of a busy phone line. But by the river was too vague. The river stretched through most of the park. It would take hours to comb the area on my own. But when I realized it was my line that was cut, I had no other choice. I grabbed my shotgun off the wall hoping almost desperately that it was a bear taking a break from hibernation to hassle a woman for her peanut butter sandwich and not another psychopath. Hello? Is anybody out there? I stood on the doorstep with my ear to the wind, hoping to get some kind of clue for what direction to head off into. I was met with silence. I heaved a sigh of defeat and chose a direction at random. When I found her, I swore I'd give her a good old piece of my mind. And not only was it freezing, but the trails were pretty clear about getting near the river. They were endless deadly combinations lurking within their depths, and some said the dagger did not solely lie beneath the water. Some said that the grey woman walked along the banks crying out for help in an effort to lead compassionate bystanders into the water, a story I didn't necessarily believe. It was entertaining, nevertheless. The stories my co-workers came up with never ceased to tickle me. I was about 30 minutes away from the ranger station when I stepped on something squelching beneath my boots. It was hard to make out in the darkness, but as I knelt down before the mass, I realized exactly what I was dealing with. 
someone's wet clothes sat in a heap, discarded in a hurry in an effort to warm up after falling in. And the ice was rarely thick enough to bounce an acorn off, let alone pretend to be capable of holding a human's weight. So I can only wonder how anybody could have gotten so soaked. Even if they'd slid down the bank, there was no way they'd been submerged the way these garments suggested that they had been. I'd been about to start searching for blood trails when a voice came from the other trees. It was nothing more than a hiss, but it sent my heart into overdrive. Either way, my first instinct was to haul it back where I came from, to leave the whispers behind once and for all. But the shotgun in my hand was more than capable of turning a human into Swiss cheese, so I pushed forward. I called into the trees, demanding that the person hiding amongst the leafless branches come out with their hands up. When nothing happened, I called again, this time warning them that I'd shoot if they did not say something. Stop screaming, she'll hear, the voice from the trees didn't seem to understand the concept of packing heat. I could only wonder if she was in the throes of a psychotic break, and there was nothing else out there after all. Yet she was huddled amongst the vegetation, whimpering about some mysterious she. I was moments from threatening her with the cops when I heard the same voice from over the phone. It was just as hysterical as it had been, just as watery and hard to understand as it had been over the phone. If not for the icy hand on my wrist, I'd have followed the voice of the person I'd originally gone searching for. It was my job to help those in need on the trail, and I had no reason to hesitate. But the woman's hold was unbreakable in that moment, and her hissed warning to stay still made me think twice. I tried to help her. The woman told me her face was a breath away from my own, but she was as cold as the rocks along the river's edge. The heat that radiated from living beings was completely missing in her. But my attention went elsewhere as the voice called for help again. And if you don't want to end up like me, you'll go back the way you came. I have no idea what to account for. I can only assume this was the poltergeist of a woman who had passed. For the Thanksgiving break in 1996, Ori was camped on the Abiqua. Sharon Jones contacted him and said he should come to the Bigfoot camp on the Malala River, which he did. As he pulled into the campground around 8.30 p.m., two big feet appeared in his headlights about 60 feet away. Both of the 11-foot reddish-brown creatures ran into the woods. Ori set out a rabbit in a cage to attract them back, illuminating them with glow sticks, putting a few on trees also, at the six-foot level so they could see if something passed in front of them. He had spotlights mounted around the camp and his son Stephen, 18, was running the video camera from inside the camper on the top bunk. All of a sudden a head walked past under the window, and Stephen came flying away, almost bumping heads with the creature as it passed by. The head was hairy, but he could see the face. He screamed it was right outside, a face the size of a garbage can lid. They could see a hand cover the rabbit cage, and they turned on the lights and the camcorder just as something passed for a brief instant in front of the camera so close that all they recorded was a blur. It was 9 p.m. and the thing appeared 9-10 feet tall from the upper bunk. There was nothing else that night. Friends Mark and Chance camp nearby didn't see anything. The next morning was cloudy and drizzly. Mark and Chance left and Stephen and Ori played cards until Mark returned, 
but left again at dark. There was a strong smell of something dead, skunk-like and musty, in the air. Then they heard a weird sound of something running that was gassy, farts, making a blop 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 noise, but they couldn't see anything out the window. It was 8.30, dark, but a little moonlight, plus the glow sticks were hung in the trees again. At 9 p.m., one glow stick starting going dark, then the first Bigfoot came by, followed by a second one. They were both huge and we watched them go back and forth, running in a crisscross pattern, like to flush game, and apparently hunting as a group. One would cross from right to left, the other from left to right, the pattern possibly spooking game to run into the Bigfoot approaching from the opposite direction. They hung around camp for 20 minutes, stopping at the rabbit, but turning and going back into the woods rapidly, never staying in one place long enough to switch the lights or camera on. They were incredibly fast. I'm a ranger in Yosemite National Park. I believe that I've seen what people refer to as a real-life alien spaceship. I even touched it with my bare hands. It was a few years back when I was still quite new to the job, May 7th in 2003 to be exact. I was patrolling an area because a report stating that a strange sound was being heard there every night past midnight. Light shows like a full laser light were in display. Some speculated that teenagers were having a party in the woods past midnight as the reason behind these noises, but come on, none of that even made sense. A couple of rangers were already investigating the case. After not finding much, I was also added to the case. I was only 23 at the time and full of enthusiasm to solve it. I investigated everything from testimonies to the witnesses themselves, surveying the whole area. I tracked possible suspects, and I even began camping on those said sites. There were a couple of places, but initially, it's all in one big area. There were six places on the list, and I camped every night on the spot. I grew more and more aware of what the woods looked like at night, especially the creatures that come out when the sun sets. I have witnessed a human disappearance of thin air, I witnessed glowing insects flickering in different light, things I've documented. It was 2003, so the phone camera was not really viable. Unfortunately, I had no clear evidence of these things. It was the last place on the list. It was around 5 and I was setting up camp when suddenly all my gadgets started producing these strange static noises. I thought of going back since my equipment might be faulty, but it was strange since at that time, everything was fine just the day before. Then every single one would malfunction. After a couple of minutes, it stopped, and everything was back to normal. I did not have high hopes of finding them. The problem at some point is that I realized this might not be what seems after everything I've witnessed so far, but it was definitely not going to be normal. Now I've told all my discoveries to my fellow rangers. Some believed, and others laughed. To those who believed, they said they saw the same thing, but when they went back to look for it, it was gone. It was never in the same place. It's like it would only want to show itself in the right time and right place and then vanish forever. At first, I had some hope, but they were right. I came to the exact same spot. I moved around the area, but nothing. It was really gone. 
As I was having my dinner that night at the last spot, the moon was full and beautiful. As I was chowing down on my food, my eyes caught a flash of light. It was only for a moment, but I saw it, and somewhere it had come from like a beacon of light. It showed me the way. I went towards to what I believe was the spot, and then my walkie-talkie began going haywire, producing this strange static noise. I turned it off immediately in fear it would alert whatever this thing was responsible. I searched and searched and searched. Finally, it was around 10 pm, but nothing. I felt like giving up, and suddenly a strong breeze blew from my left side. I turned, and there I saw it, like a huge egg with rings like Saturn slowly lifting up. It was hovering and producing this weird sound like a deep engine noise. I hid behind a tree, heart pounding like crazy. This was it. At the time, I felt like this was it. This was the unrevealed side of this world, and I'm witnessing it. I crouched down, kept observing it, like an egg surrounded by rotary rings. It was pitch black, and then the metallic glow reflecting light from the moon. I might not have any clues as to what I'm seeing, but I know for certain it was nothing made from Earth. I was captivated, and then suddenly, its outer shell cracked. Even the rings on those cracked were lights, neon blue or close to that color. Out of nowhere, four metallic pipes extended from this thing. It acted as a stand, supporting this large ship. I crouched in that spot, not daring to move for what felt like an hour, and there was nothing else that changed after the stand came out of it. It's like it froze in place, still, and I didn't dare to move. I kept looking at it with haggard breath. I felt a couple more hours pass when something happened. The cracks on the surface closed up, and it went back to how it used to be. Then nothing more happened for a while. It slowly stood up, and I tried my best to sneak up to it, a turtle's pace. I made sure to avoid making as much noise as possible. Just a couple more meters, and I would be up close and personal to it. I was now on all fours, crawling like a dog just to get close to it. I lifted my hand and managed to touch it. It was like how I imagined it, smooth with a metallic texture. I was about to caress it when a high-pitched noise sounded. It felt like my eardrums would break. I clutched my ears with my hands, and the next thing I know, I wake up in a hospital bed. I was found unconscious by a ranger, taken to the hospital after not being responsive. They walked among us, I know it. I've seen it. I'm still searching for evidence. I believe that the high-pitched sound was a warning that a human had found them. The ship probably left in a hurry. They have become more aware, hopefully a lot less active too. I was bow hunting and had parked myself between two deer trails, each running alongside a clear cut. I was dead center with 25 yards between me and each trail. I faced west into the wind at about dusk. There was usually a lot of deer in the area but on that evening it seemed very quiet. Just as it became too dark to see my aiming sights, I heard crunching footsteps coming from directly behind me. At the time I thought it might be a buck in rut. The animal seemed to be following my scent directly to where I was hidden in some blackberry bushes. A cover scent had been applied to my clothes and boots using pine needles that were blended with water. My clothes were soaked in the solution and dried, very effective. 
For deer anyway. This animal walked right up to the clearing behind me. I had plenty of time to turn around to situate myself for a clear shot. I raised my bow and it came into view 25 yards away and stopped. It seemed no exactly where I was sitting. We were staring at each other from a distance of about 75 feet for about a full minute. The Bigfoot slowly swayed back and forth a few inches from side to side. I estimated it to be about 7 half tall and maybe 600 pounds plus. I never pulled back on the bow and the Bigfoot eventually just turned around and walked in the same direction it came from. Because of the thick leaves on the ground no tracks were found the next day when I returned to look around. This animal was black in color and its shoulders were approximately 4 feet wide. Since this incident happened I've brought up this subject with many people in this area and I am surprised at how many have had, or know someone who has had, experiences in this county. If you're ever in the area look me up and we can take a trip into the Cascades here behind my home. My name is Ben, and I'm a member of the local Native American community. I have always had a fascination with the legends and stories of the creatures that roam the forests of our land, so when I heard about Frank's track records, I knew I had to see them for myself. Frank, who is not a Native American, had stumbled upon tracks in two separate locations that he believed belonged to the elusive creature that our people have long known as Sasquatch. He had even managed to cast one of the tracks, which was about 15 inches long and had three toes with apparent webbing between them. As I examined the casts, I couldn't help but feel a sense of excitement and wonder. These tracks could be the key to unlocking the mystery of Sasquatch, a creature that has been a part of our people's folklore for generations. But as I looked closer, I noticed something that gave me pause. The tracks were not quite like any I had seen before. They were certainly large, but the shape and arrangement of the toes seemed different from what I had come to expect from Sasquatch tracks. I couldn't help but wonder if there was something else at play here. I decided to do some investigating of my own, reaching out to members of my community who had knowledge of the land and its creatures. Through their help, I was able to track down a local elder who had some insight into the matter. The elder told me that there were stories of a different creature that roamed these lands, one that was said to have webbed feet and a tendency to live near bodies of water. He spoke of a creature that was known as the Water Man, a being that our people had long considered to be a powerful and mysterious force of nature. As I listened to the elder's words, I couldn't help but wonder if there was a connection between these tracks and the Water Man. It was possible that Frank had stumbled upon evidence of a creature that was not Sasquatch, but something entirely different. I knew that there was still much work to be done to unravel the mystery of these tracks, but I felt a renewed sense of purpose in my investigation. Whether they belonged to Sasquatch or the Waterman, these tracks represented a chance to learn more about the secrets that lay hidden within the forests of our land. And as a member of the Native American community, it was my duty to uncover those secrets and protect the land and its creatures for future generations. For years now I have kept silent about a sighting I have had, but after much research, I simply cannot explain what it is I witnessed a few years ago. A little background on myself. 
I am an avid bird watcher and I am particularly fascinated by birds of prey and have read and owned many books on birds and have gone on many bird watching expeditions. It is safe to say that I did not mistake my sighting for any bird. I am also a qualified pilot, so I have also learned to judge the distance and size of things in my environment. Time and place of the sighting. July 2010 around midnight, Dornport, Pretoria, South Africa. Dornport is on the northern outskirts of Pretoria. My house was less than a mile from Wonderbroom Airport. To the north of the suburb is open fields with farms and platinum mines. I had not seen my brother in a while and he and his wife came to visit me and my wife. As July is in the heart of the winter in South Africa, we spent most of the time inside. As we both smoke and don't smoke in our house my brother and I went outside every time we wanted to smoke. At about midnight, we decided to go for a last smoke before going to bed. It was a clear cloudless night and there was sufficient moonlight so the sky was bright. As we were sitting outside, something in the sky caught my attention. I looked up and saw a creature slowly flying overhead. The thing that most caught me off guard was how white it was. It was so white it almost looked luminescent. It definitely had bat wings and it flapped them very slowly. It was about 70 feet above ground level and it had a wingspan of at least 10 feet but I would say it was between 12 and 14 feet. My brother also saw it. After it flew slowly overhead in a southerly direction my brother and I just looked at each other, extinguished our cigarettes, and went inside. At first, I thought it was some kind of fruit bat, but the only species I could find that was somewhat on the light-colored side that is found in the area was the straw-colored fruit bat but it is much smaller than the creature I saw and I looked at a lot of videos of them flying since and their wing beats are much faster than the beats of the creature we saw. Over time I have researched all manner of bats and I cannot find anything that matches what I saw in color and size. It has been over 7 years but I can still clearly recall what I saw and the fear I felt because of the sheer size of this thing. I actually live about 35 minutes from Point Pleasant, West Virginia in a little town called Ripley. I have friends in Point that have had some pretty messed up encounters driving through the McClinic Wildlife Preserve. That's where the area they call TNT is located. There are these old ammunition storage bunkers that look like giant igloos and some old worn down and deserted factories. Talk about one hell of a creepy ass place. My buddy Brian said he and two friends were out there back in 2002 driving around the maze of back roads when they heard something hit the roof of the truck and when they looked out the back glass they could see what looked like a person hanging gliding behind them. It was very dark and they could only make out the outline. He said it followed them and kept hitting the roof for about a mile. They were losing their minds with fear the whole time. The thing was keeping up with them even when they were doing 70 plus in a couple spots. He said he'll never forget that night and I know he wouldn't make something like that up. He's a very devoted Christian and churchgoer. I'll start out by saying that the small town where I grew up, and where all of my family still resides, is in Monroe County, Ohio maybe 20 minutes or so outside of Wheeling, West Virginia. I was talking to my dad on the phone the other night. He told me that last week while driving home from work, 
He came across something he can't explain. His voice was shaky, unlike I have ever heard him. He works the night shift at a local coal mine and while driving home from work early one morning around 5.30 am he noticed a large creature crouched down in the road. It had bright red glowing eyes that looked directly at him. He said this creature also had very large wings which were wrapped around it as it crouched. He said he had never in his life seen anything like this. It had really upset him. He proceeded to drive by it, but when he looked behind him, it was gone. He said that he was actually scared to get out of his car when he got home in fear that perhaps it had followed him or was even in his car. After a few very tense minutes, he slowly got out of the car. There was nothing there. I asked him if he had ever heard of the Mothman. He kind of paused, then said that he had never heard of it until he started talking to people about what he had seen. He said that they would say right away it sounds like you saw the Mothman. You hear weird stories all the time, and because you don't really know the person who witnessed it, you just shrug it off. Knowing my dad and what a logical thinker he is, I believe he encountered something supernatural. He is usually the one who tries to come up with logical answers for things that are otherwise unexplained. He's very skeptical when it comes to aliens, UFOs, ghosts, etc. For me to talk to him and hear him tell me about this mothman-like creature was shocking. For this is not like my father. I will say that I am concerned, for what I understand is that when a person actually witnesses a mothman, oftentimes bad things happen afterward. There isn't a doubt in my mind that what he saw was 100% true. It has completely made a believer out of me when it comes to the mothman. I hope for the sake of my father and my family that that isn't true and that he made a mistake of identity. I saw the Mothman as it flew over my school bus, and I think it was winter of 1966. The school bus driver, Odell Wallace and I were the last ones on the bus, as we had already dropped off all the other kids and were headed toward the end of the school bus route on Big 16 Mile Creek in Mason County. I lived another mile past that, I would walk in the morning to the bus, and home from it in the evening. And it flew over the bus and was no more than 100 feet above us, and we could see that the wingspan of this thing was about the length of the bus. After it flew over, I looked up into the mirror that the driver used to watch the kids as he drove. He was looking back at me and I said did you see that, he just looked at me and nodded and nothing else was said. I haven't told too many people about this for fear of ridicule and joking bull, but now I'm 65 years old and I don't care what anybody says, I know what I saw was not anything normal. I'm a hunter also, deer hunter rabbit squirrel groundhog or anything else I can eat that doesn't have antibiotics and human footprints in it, and I've never before seen anything like it and not since, even though I'm always in the woods. So I know that the dang thing existed, or still exists. I am Leon Adler, a corporal in the U.S. Marines working as a security officer at U.S. Marine Base Quantico in Quantico, Virginia in 2020. It was just another night on my nightly patrol on the west side of the base. During a break, I went into the woods to check one of the game cameras I had set up to look for trespassers and poachers. As I made my way to the creek where the camera was, just a few feet into the woods off the road, 
I noticed that the woods seemed to go silent. I found it deeply unnerving. When I finally reached the creek and started checking the card on my laptop, sitting by a tree, I began to make out the sound of bipedal footsteps coming through the forest. At first, I assumed it was a person. As I scanned in the direction of the steps, I suddenly saw a white-tailed deer step out of the foliage. It was a really nice-looking buck with at least 8 points and appeared to weigh about 180 pounds. What really threw me off was how it went from sounding like a human to seeing a deer. There was a large oak tree adjacent to the clearing, and I watched as the deer slowly walked over to the tree and stood in front of it. It then exploded into a furious rage, smashing its face into the tree violently. I could hear the animal's bones cracking and its grunting as it repeatedly smashed its skull into the tree in a wild rage. It was unbearable to watch. I suspected that the deer might have been suffering from a chronic wasting disease, a fatal neurological illness affecting deer and other animals. But then something even stranger happened. Most animals' retinas reflect back at you, but I saw no reflection of the retinas, which- Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Which was just weird. As the buck finished smashing its face, it took a step back and stood up on its hind legs. That's when in the clearest voice I have ever heard in my entire life, it said, I know you're there. I was freaked out and scared. How could it say anything when it doesn't have a working jaw, much less a voice box? I felt like I was frozen in time, unable to react. I tried to rationalize what I was seeing, but every explanation I came up with didn't make sense. The only thing I could come up with was that it was a skinwalker. Looking at it, it felt like something that's been their way before we have and will be their way after we're gone. The voice was similar to the deep ancestral voices of old Native Americans. It felt like I had been watching it for hours, but it was probably just 5 to 10 seconds. The buck dropped back down on all fours and walked back into the brush. I dropped my laptop and quickly ran back to my vehicle and left. A month later, 
I returned to the spot to grab my laptop and the camera. The laptop wasn't covered in leaves and grungy like I expected it to be. It was like I had just left it there 20 minutes ago. I checked the tree where the buck had been smashing its face into and found splinters of bone and antler. It made my stomach drop, but it was also nice to know that I wasn't insane. Whether it was supernatural or not, I didn't want to be around it. My family is from Gallipolis, Ohio, the town right across the river from Point Pleasant. About half of my life was spent there, and honestly, I think he's real. I have some family, who live out in the country, and a good number of them have seen Mothman or encountered him. I might have had an encounter, but I'm not 100% sure, only because it was late at night, and it was hard to see. I'd been at the movies, and something swooped in front of my windshield, something big. I heard a scraping sound on the roof of my car, in the AM, five scratch marks down to the primer, were in the paint, space like human fingernails. One of the creepiest moments of my life, I hadn't believed it before, but I did after that. There aren't any owls in southeastern Ohio that big, it was bigger than my windshield, about 5 feet wide by 3.5. Owls also don't have 5 toes that spread like fingers. My name is Judy Cook, and my husband Mick and I have been dealing with a strange occurrence on our remote central Queensland property. Over the past 18 years, we have found 20 cows that have been killed in the same peculiar way, with their organs removed with surgical precision and without any blood left at the scene. The most recent incident occurred just six months ago when we discovered a cow's carcass with its udder, cheek, and tongue cleanly removed. Once again, there was no blood or evidence of movement at the site. We can't explain how this is happening, but we have come to the conclusion that it might be aliens. How is it happening? It must have something that lifts it up and puts it down and doesn't leave any marks, I told the Daily Mercury. Aliens are the only explanation I have got. Initially, we never believed in the supernatural. However, after seeing strange lights in the sky around our property, we have started to think that something not human might be responsible. One night there was a light in the distance, very bright, we couldn't tell how close it was, my husband, Mick, said. It looked like it was just on the boundary of the property where I had found a mob of cattle out that way the next day who looked terrorized, and they started running as soon as I got close to them, which was very strange. We run 1,100 cattle on a 14,600 hectare property west of Yungala, about 80 kilometers west of Mackay, and we are not isolated. Despite this, we are still grappling with the bizarre occurrences on our land. This is kind of a long story but the creepiest thing happened to me and I really need to tell this story while the details are still fresh in my mind. Although I'm pretty certain I'll never forget it, for some reason I feel like this is important and I need to share. Last night, May 31st to June 1st, 2020, I went to Chesapeake, Ohio to a friend's house to play music and sing. We jammed until around 3 a.m. When we left we headed towards Proctorville, Ohio to take the bridge into Huntington, West Virginia. That stretch of road runs alongside the Ohio River. 
It is dark and there aren't many street lights. So it was dark and last night, it was cold. We were talking and trying to get the heat going when all of a sudden a tall black figure appeared seemingly out of nowhere on the side of the road, literally right beside my door, passenger side. We were going around 50-60 miles per hour and this thing didn't budge. I felt it though. No other way to explain it except that it was so close to my door that I felt it. And what I felt was wrong. It was sinister and did not come from a place of good. It looked like it was about 7-8 feet tall. We were in a pickup truck, a Dodge Ram I believe. It was so tall that my friend, who was driving, said maybe it was a road work road work a black tarp draped over it. It was taller than the truck. It looked shrouded, almost like it had wings but they were wrapped around its body. It appeared out of nowhere and it seemed like it leaned toward the truck as we passed by it. So close that I felt it. Like in my soul and in my skin. So close that if my window had been down I could have touched it. It made me actually shiver as we drove by it. I am an empath and I'm telling you this thing sent me everything it had and it had nothing but darkness to send. I've never felt anything that creepy before. Like to the core. We were both shaken by it. I still am. My friend wanted to turn around and go back to see what it was. I did not. Fast forward a little bit. We get to the bridge and of course, it's closed. So we end up having to turn around and go back towards Chesapeake. Which meant we had to go back through that same stretch of road again. And right as we are getting ready to pass another car that thing comes out from behind the car and looked like it was floating or gliding across the road. And it crouched down almost like it was getting ready to pounce or take off. It was then I could see the top of its head which was shiny and black. My friend said maybe it was a person on a skateboard because of the way it was gliding or floating in the middle of the road. They then proceeded to say that was some jeepers creepers. All I know is this. It was not a seven feet person dressed in all black at three in the morning. This was not human. It was evil and I hope I never experience it again. Has anyone else seen this figure? If so, please let me know. I need to discuss what happened. Stay safe friends. I was hunting solo in a high pressure OTC unit four years ago. First time elk hunting and first time hunting the west. It was early September and I had been into elk the two days I had been hunting. I was sitting in a clearing around 5 pm waiting for it to get closer to dusk and licking my wounds from earlier that day. I had blown an opportunity at a bull earlier cold calling. Grew impatient 20 minutes into the setup and got up to move and sure enough 30 yards away over a knoll was a bull that promptly got out of town. So there I was sulking in a clearing and decided to fix myself a snack to cheer myself up. In typical poor early 20s fashion most of my meals and snacks were ramen noodles cooked in a Ziploc bag. Halfway through boiling water for the ramen I start hearing cow calls. Great I thought some hunters came and set up near me worsening my mood. To my disbelief two cows and a calf stepped out of the woods less than 100 yards from me with a wooded draw in between us. I quickly shut off the stove and figured I could head down that draw and come out close enough to get a shot at one of them. I started sneaking down the draw and about halfway there decided to stop and throw a few cow calls their way and see if I could get them to come up to me. 
The cows came to the wooded edge, but wouldn't come up to me and eventually lost interest and began feeding again so I decided I'd press on and see if I could get a shot as they were just over a knoll about 50 yards away. I started creeping along again when all of a sudden the brush 10 feet in front of me exploded and a huge mountain lion went sprinting past me. I can still vividly picture the muscle definition in the lion's rear quarters and the thickness of its tail as it bounded away from me. I stood there in absolute shock and disbelief of what I had just seen and witnessed for a few minutes. Once I pulled myself together I proceeded 30 yards and ended up shooting my first elk. Due to work commitments I had to begin packing right away so ended up packing her out around midnight right back through where I had jumped the lion hours before. If that experience didn't hook me for life I don't know what will. I now carry a pistol with me whenever I'm in the woods. I'm fairly confident that lion was stalking the young calf and was oblivious to me sneaking along until I began cow calling just feet away from it and it couldn't see me but that's just speculation. It was Monday night morning after I got off of work. Slight backstory, husband and I got those walkie-talkies that are long range and can sometimes pick up other frequencies. For our young son to take one with him when he goes outside to play or over to a friend's house. So we can check in and keep tabs, etc. He is old enough to play outside or at one of our nearby neighbor's houses without us there. But not old enough for his own phone. I worked nights in an office and got home just before 3 a.m. Went into the kitchen to grab myself a glass of water and suddenly heard one of the walkie-talkies go off in a deep, raspy, just above a whisper male voice say hello? Nearly dropped the water. I turned off the damn walkie-talkie and then thought to myself that obviously my husband was messing with me with the other walkie-talkie from the bedroom. I went into the room and asked him are you messing with me? And as he rolls over and starts to say no from our bed the other walkie-talkie goes off, across the room from where he is and on the desk right next to where I'm standing. The same damn creepy deep raspy hello? I turned that one off, made sure all of the doors and windows were locked, and buried myself under a million blankets. Let me preface by saying that the house, located at 9,000 feet in Colorado, was built in the 1870s according to information from the Historical Society. It was built up against the side of a mountain and the entrance to an old mine shaft is directly behind the kitchen wall. It's also not far from several old cemeteries. Within the first month that I lived there I woke up at 4 am one morning to very intense pain in my foot. There was a little bit of light that came into the room from one of the street lamps outside so it wasn't completely pitch black. As I opened my eyes to look down toward my foot I saw the silhouette of a very short man at the end of the bed by my feet. It was only for a second but the details that are forever seared into my memory is that he was short, maybe only 5 feet tall, was wearing a top hat with a brim, and had a white or grey beard. The pain in my foot was very strange too, my foot was very hot and felt like it was being crushed or squeezed in a vice. I haven't felt a similar pain to that either before or after that night. The shadowy man fit the description of an old miner pretty well as far as I could tell. 
Another night later that year I was watching a movie when my peripheral vision saw something cross the hallway from a room into the hall closet. By this time, I had lived there for a while and was pretty freaked out by all this stuff so I literally just got up and left the house with the movie still playing and some of the lights still on. After clearing my head for about 20 minutes and feeling ridiculous for being so freaked out I returned home. When I went back inside I got even more freaked out because the TV had been turned off and the kitchen lights had been messed with. The kitchen lights were track lights and were all now pointed toward the back wall of the kitchen where the mine shaft entrance was. That event made me reconsider living there. Several times I could just feel something there and the hair on my scalp would just tingle. That's a bad feeling if you've never had it. Most of the weird stuff that happened was in the first year or so that I lived there and I got used to it eventually. I also got a dog and that helped a lot. The last several years I lived there were uneventful. I kinda wanna contact the new owners and ask them what they've experienced. If you ever get the chance to live alone in an old miner's cabin for a while, it'll definitely spice up some of your evenings. When I was about 7 or 8 we moved in with my mom's boyfriend and his daughter. His daughter, let's call her Didi, age 3, was very sick as a baby and was in and out of the hospital a lot. She had imaginary friends like every other kiddo at the age of 3 has, she used to play in her room and talk to her friend Johnny a lot. Eventually after a couple months I felt like something was watching me and with me at all times. Not in a scary way but a curious way. Every once in a while I would see a woman or a child walking the halls, or hear a child laugh when Dee Dee was sleeping in her bed. One night when I was home alone for a couple hours babysitting I walked past the attic to the bathroom. When I turned around to close the door I seen a woman in old Victorian clothes walking down the hall and up the stairs to the attic. I figured I was just tired and seeing things. A couple days later I was talking to my mom's boyfriend and mentioned it to him. Turns out that the house was well over 250 years old and there was a family that lived there that had died in a house fire in the early 1900s. A wife, husband, and their little boy Johnny died. He told me Dee Dee was being watched over by Johnny since the day she came home from the hospital. Right before Dee Dee would get sick and end up needing a hospital visit she would tell her dad that Johnny was sick and needed medicine. Like Johnny was telling her that she was going to get sick. She was healthy for a couple years after that. We ended up moving and our parents got married, everything was going good. Six years later Dee Dee randomly mentions Johnny one day, said she had a dream about him, and he was sick. About two weeks later they found a tumor on her stomach and she had to be life-flighted to a children's hospital to have emergency surgery. Surgery was successful and no cancer was found. She said she felt like she was missing something after she recovered but didn't really know what. It's been 10 years and she hasn't been sick. Not even a little cold. We don't talk about this anymore, in case we jinx her or something. was on a solo hunt in the Trinities back in 2015. I hiked into a remote area off trail and set up camp for the night. Laying there in my bag looking up at the stars, I noticed a very faint flash, almost imperceptible and at first, I thought it was just my imagination. 
After a few more flashes I realized it was some kind of light coming from the ground level and not from up in the sky because I could see the underside of the trees light up each time it happened. Thinking it may be a trail cam I laid there as still as possible thinking maybe movement was triggering it, but it kept happening. Thinking maybe it was on some kind of timer I started counting to see if the flashes were evenly spaced. The flashes were happening at random intervals. This went on for at least an hour until I finally drifted off to sleep. The next morning, I searched high and low for a trail cam or anything out of the ordinary but found nothing. Still don't really know what it was that I was seeing but I know there were definitely flashes going off like a camera flash except very faint, but enough to illuminate the bottom side of the branches and the trees around me. Made me a little uneasy for the rest of the trip. I was playing with my Play-Doh with my sister, and we were having a good time. However, something about our house always felt off. Apparently, all six couples who had lived here previously were divorced, and the same had happened to my mom and dad. But we tried not to think about it too much and focused on our Play-Doh. Suddenly, my sister asked me to go downstairs and get a butter knife. I hesitated for a moment, but then made my way down the stairs. As I looked towards the kitchen, I saw a big looming black shadow. I was frozen with fear and let out a scream before running back upstairs to my sister. She laughed it off and went to get the knife herself. I wasn't the only one who experienced something strange in that house. My brother once felt something like a hand touch him while he was sitting on the edge of his bed. He looked under the bed but saw nothing there. My mom also saw a shadowy figure next to her bed more than once. At first, she thought it was one of us kids, but when she realized she was alone in the house, she got scared. Despite trying to brush it off, the eerie feeling of the house persisted. Eventually, we decided to move out. The place still gives me the heebie-jeebies, and I can't help but wonder what was really going on in that house. Hunting a day after a snowfall I stayed out until well after sunset. Took what looks like an old logging skid that cuts across a hillside like a trail but sunk in enough that it's like a ditch you could drive through. The sides are icy and sparkling in my flashlight and my steps are super crunchy. That's it for that night but I go back to the same spot the next day. Get set up at a natural saddle with many deer tracks and sit. There's clearly an animal trying to move quietly off one side of the ridge so I'm very focused and dying to stand up and take a peek. Sun goes down, coyotes start sounding off and some dudes start screaming help. Then just plain screaming. From the same direction as the coyotes. And it's the same and only direction back to the road. I decided he's either having a freak out or getting torn apart. Either way I'm waiting to see if it's a deer down there as this is my last day of the season. Eventuality shooting light is over and I decide I don't want to stumble into anything weird like an ambush or crime in progress. Archery season so stupid no gun rule. So I sit there for another hour to wait it out and maybe kill a coyote. Eventually I'm frozen and dying to pee so I quit and after about an hour in the dark I strike that same tunnel-like path. The instant I reach it I can see in my flashlight that there's mountain lion tracks converging from the opposite direction and going right on top of my prints from yesterday. 
Mother effer. I can't say he was trailing me the day before but they look the same exact age. Hair standing up big time. Okay maybe I almost died yesterday but I'm definitely fighting a giant cat tonight. Worst thing was the dead still air and my feet making so much noise, that deep bass crunch. Giant full moon light shining on the snow, world become black and white. Very surreal. Story actually ends uneventfully but strangely there was no sign of anyone else by the road. In my culture sometimes people believe children and pregnant women are sensitive and in some ways I believe I was one of those children, or overactive imagination. When I was in fifth grade, my family owned this restaurant and after school I would be there all day either watching TV at the bar or running around the empty sections. This was just before smoking indoors was banned and we had a designated smoking section. The building itself was a bit old and since not that many people smoke sometimes the smoking section was left very dimmed except for this huge illuminated picture that casted a grayish white glow over the room. Sometimes when I sat at the bar watching TV my dad would sneak behind the bar and slowly rise up to spook me. There was one instance where I thought he was doing just that. A dark head of what I thought was his hair was slowly rising up from the bar in my lower peripheral vision and I get excited because aha, I could get him first. He gets up higher and higher and finally I look and jump up in my seat. And no one is there. I understand seeing things and light playing tricks but the amount of movement I saw and how high I thought he stood up was enough to spook me for a while. Other times, on my way past the smoking section to the kitchen to bring in an order ticket, I would see someone in my peripheral sitting there in the semi-darkness and double take, but no one would be there. There's this one other instance in my childhood where I experienced the worst case of anxiety and cold sweats ever. I shared a room with my mom and I was lying in bed ready to sleep. She liked to watch TV at night before bed and this time the DVD was stopped while she went to shower so the screen was just blue and I turned away from it to face the wall. Next thing I know, I experienced that feeling where you think someone is behind you and f if I was going to turn around and check because horror movies duh. But the feeling just kept growing and I pulled my blanket higher and my back started breaking out in cold sweats and it was the longest, scariest minutes of my life until finally my mom came back into the room and the feeling immediately left. Strangest thing ever, don't know if something was really behind me or I thought myself into the worst bout of anxiety in my life. I have had other experience of these feelings like I'm not alone in other times in my life but it seems I've grown out of them as I got older. Sometimes I feel like I do still catch something in my peripheral every so often, but I attribute that to stress and lack of sleep lol. My buddy was bear hunting a few years back, North Cascades along the Canadian border. They end up dropping into a valley 500 feet down and are getting into where the alpine meadows roll into the tree line. Probably only a half mile off trail but nobody but a hunter would drop in down there in search of something. And not every hunter would do that. Most just glass from the trail. Anyway, they're hiking along and come across an open patch of sand in the meadow and they look down and here is this footprint. Not a boot print. A footprint. There was only one of them and here is the real creepy part, 
He said it was small like a child's. Got a real uneasy feeling after that. Now there's plenty of drug trafficking and rumor of hidden pot fields up in these parts since you could hike stuff across the border if you really wanted to I guess. Have heard rumor of seeing teams of people that looked like they were out of place hiking these mountains. This area is only about 3 miles from the Canadian border and it's a sea of wilderness on either side. The fact there was only one footprint and it was a child's bare foot makes you really wonder. Okay, so a friend of mine was telling me about glitches in reality on the way to the grocery store. We pull in and drive all the way up the parking ramp to level 2, park directly in the center, then walk to the elevator. She presses the button to go down to the first floor and we enter the grocery store. A week later we come back to the same grocery store. We pull in and park, we walk to the elevator, I go in first this time and press the button. We go down to the first floor and enter the grocery store. When we're done shopping we come out, take the elevator up to parking level 2 and can't find my car. We look all over level 2 and start to kind of freak out, thinking my car had been stolen. So we go down to level 1 just to check and my car is parked right by the grocery store entrance. Our memory of parking on level 1 rushes back. We both clearly remember getting on the elevator on level 2, I'm the one who pressed the button this time, not her, but there was no possible way that could have happened if we had parked on level 1. The only way to get from where we parked to the elevator would be to walk all the way up a long ramp meant for cars only, and loop back and walk all the way across level 2 to the elevator. That didn't happen. It was the most surreal thing I have ever experienced and can only describe it as a glitch in reality. When I saw my car on level 1 after freaking out and not being able to find it, I clearly remembered parking there. We both did. But we had no memory of it until we saw the car. It was like the memory was edited from our minds and re-added when we saw the car. Our theory is that the realities overlapped and when we shut the car doors we were suddenly up where we had parked the week before. We both remember walking to the elevator from roughly the same area of level 2 that we had parked the previous week. Crazy man. I am not a super spiritual person but it definitely made me realize that reality is not what we think it is. The first time I got up close to a black bear was about 15 or so years ago. Usually, I'd hunt with my dad in eastern Washington, but he got into a bad motorcycle accident and was out of commission. That put me in a precarious position because he had a truck, but I only had Mustang, thus, I couldn't drive the logging roads into our usual areas. Using Google Maps, I located a juicy-looking tree farm that was about 30-40 minutes from Mount Rainier. It only allowed hikers, no vehicles and required roughly 4.5 miles of hiking, with 2,000 plus foot of elevation gain, just to get to the first clear cut. Next one was 7 miles in. I headed up there in mid-July with a gallon of water, some foil packs of tuna, an MRE, and a pup tent. Figured I'd stay 3-5 days and scout for bear and elk. The first mile was a brutal uphill trek but the last 5 were a cakewalk. Before I got to the second clear cut, I saw a well-established deer trail following the ridge and took it. 
It led me to a beautiful, exposed ridgeline, populated with berry bushes and buckbrush, that overlooked a giant lake. I decided to make my camp there, right on the game trail, in the overgrown clear cut. Right before dark, a thick, wet, misty fog rolled in, cutting visibility down to less than 100 feet. I got as cozy I could in the child-sized tent. The only way I could stretch out was if I laid diagonally. I put my rifle to the back of the tent and laid my .22 revolver and a flashlight on a yellow piece of felt by the entrance. I read for a while and eventually fell asleep. Sometime around 4 am, I woke up with my heart pounding. Initially I couldn't figure out whether I woke from a bad dream or something else. Right as my heart started to slow down, I heard breathing and the sound of footsteps on wet wood. Before my fear got the best of me, I assured myself it was probably just a curious deer or elk since I'd had several late night encounters like that before. I grabbed my flashlight and revolver, unzipped the tent, and stood up looking around. Much to my dismay, the misty fog had gotten worse and visibility was less than 30 feet with a flashlight. I was about to sit back down in the tent when my light picked up two yellow eyes roughly 60-80 feet to the left of me. The eyes bobbed down and then back up again, which reminded me of how deer behave when they're curious about something. I breathed a sigh of relief and said in a low voice, piss off deer. That's when the animal started walking towards me. The second I realized it was moving towards me, I knew it wasn't a deer. The eyes were only 18-24 feet off the ground and it was walking directly at me with no hesitation whatsoever. I yelled stop it and f off. The animal paused, giving me a moment to consider whether I should shoot the point .22 at it. I reasoned that it was most likely a bear and that I didn't want to risk only wounding it and pissing it off. I decided to duck into the tent and grab my 3-6. When I tried to pull it out, the rifle got caught in the tent poles and fabric. Like I said before, it was a pup tent designed for children. I was using it because it was super lightweight. When the rifle got snagged, I looked out and saw that the eyes were bouncing and could hear that the animal was moving towards me again at a pace similar to a human jogging. I jumped back up and screamed at it which brought it to a halt about 30 to 40 feet away. Still scared of wasting the 6 rounds of .22 ammo, I grabbed a chunk of wet wood at my feet and lobbed it at the animal. The wood landed a few feet to its left but it didn't react. I grabbed another chunk and lobbed it, this time striking the animal somewhere on its back. It ran about 50 feet to my right and disappeared. I kept scanning for a minute or so and then reached into the tent for my rifle again. Immediately I heard footsteps again, shot up onto my feet, just in time to see a juvenile black bear galloping towards me at about 30 feet. I screamed at it, pointed the revolver, and was about to shoot when it finally veered away and kept on running till it disappeared into the woods. I stood where I was, scanning around with the flashlight, until the sun came up. Once it was fully light, I looked for tracks and found a couple paw prints and a fresh pile of scat. Both signs confirmed it was a juvenile in the 100-150 pound range. I loitered around till noon, trying to talk myself into continuing my trip, but my nerves were fried. I ended up hiking back out. Though I camped and hunted in that area several times afterwards, 
I never felt completely comfortable there again and always had difficulties with falling asleep. I never saw another bear there. Only deer, elk, coyotes, and a skunk. I also never set up my tent on game trails again either. In retrospect, I should have just fired the revolver to scare it off. At the time, my brain wasn't functioning properly. I'd never been in a situation like that and didn't know how to handle it. Oh well.